And Paula Reed, we were listening to, to this entire argument together, and yeah. what she was talking about is great context there with Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, the newest member of the Supreme Court, because they never even really got to the question, or they never got to the question of the insurrection itself until right at the end of those first set of arguments with Trump's attorney. We have that moment. I just want to re remind everyone what she, what she was asking the Trump attorney and what Trump's attorney said about that. What we said in her opening brief was President Trump did not engage in any act that can plausibly be characterized as insurrection. All right, so because why would not this not engage. be an insurrection? What is your argument that it's not? Your reply brief says that it wasn't because, I think you say, um, it did not involve an organized attempt to overthrow right. the government. So That's one of many reasons. But for an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort to overthrow the government of the United States through violence. And this and so riot the point that is that a chaotic effort to overthrow the government is not an insurrection? No, we didn't concede that it's an effort to overthrow the government either, Justice Jackson. Right? None of these criteria were met. This was a riot. It was not an insurrection. The events were shameful, criminal, violent, all of those things. But it did not qualify as insurrection, as that term is used in Section 3. That's notable because this is the first time, really the only time, we heard this question of whether this was an insurrection come up. And it's not surprising that it was Ketanji Brown-Jackson who brought it up because she was actually still on a federal trial judge when that first batch of arrests was made in early 2021. And she oversaw some cases. And at least one of those hearings, you know, she made it clear how serious she thought this insurrection was, what a threat she believed it was to democracy. Based on the questions we heard today from the justices, it's unlikely they're going to touch this as a collective, but here she was at least able to get on the record with this. And it's notable that you heard Trump's lawyer at least concede that this was criminal. He's not saying his client engaged in criminal conduct, but of course, you know, hundreds of people have been charged. So that was an important moment. You can tell that was an intentional move by her. Yeah, and also, you know, he noted that they're simultaneously making the argument that, that Trump has presidential immunity. What else stood out to you uh, as we were listening to uh, Trump's attorney as he, he came back to rebut the arguments that he heard from the plaintiff's uh, attorney and from the Colorado Solicitor General. What stuck out to me is this is the best hearing that the Trump legal team has had in recent memory. And it's not just because the justices seem sympathetic to their case. It's also just how this was handled. Jonathan Mitchell, again, he's very experienced before the justices. This is the sixth time, but he focused solely on the law. His client didn't factor into this. You know, we've seen very experienced lawyers, great lawyers in federal courtrooms, sometimes saying things that otherwise they wouldn't if they weren't representing the former president, appearing to play to an audience of one, sometimes getting in contentious exchanges with judges. Caitlin, today we saw none of that. Even when a justice appeared a little skeptical of his argument, he was able to manage up on them on a way that didn't make it contentious at all. It was really interesting to note how he focused on the merits, he focused on the law, and remained respectful. A complete contrast to what we've seen in the two civil cases recently uh, in New York, and it'll be interesting to see. Going forward, is this going to be the new approach that they take to legal proceedings? Let lawyers go in and do serious, right, uh, disciplined work inside the courtroom. And if the former president wants to go outside the steps of Mar-a-Lago and argue about an insurrection and score political points, he can do that because today, legally, this is likely going to pay off. I'll say I'm skeptical that that's going to be the approach I'm very that skeptical he takes. Too, but hope springs eternal. <laughs> Since we've been covering so many different iterations of Trump attorneys during our time. But it was also interesting to see how when you know Trump was not in that courtroom today, he did or in the Supreme Court today, he did have some of his political aides, some of his attorneys who were not arguing this in there. 
But when he came out just now and was initially speaking about this, he didn't seem to, to resonate with what you just said there, that, that this was a more successful day compared to the other days that we've seen with his attorneys. Yeah, he's probably just you know ticked off that we're here at all, right? But this is also a campaign speech. He's fundraising. Exactly, because he called it, as you heard, this is election interference. So even though you have a day where a Supreme Court where he appointed a third of the justices seeming to take his side, perhaps even 9-0, he's arguing that this is somehow election interference. That is an argument that he has made across uh, civil litigation, criminal cases here at the Supreme Court. So it, it really didn't seem to be a reflection of how he thought the argument he was probably went is probably what he's going to say no matter what. I think it's also revealing into the insight of how he sees the Supreme Court in and of itself, yeah. because he has been quite wary uh, of how they will treat him in the way that he kind of sees how legal processes play out when it regards him personally. I mean, his attorneys have made clear that he does expect some kind of sense of loyalty. I believe <laughs> that is the word that Alina Haba used, because they are three justices that he nominated to the Supreme Court. But but he has been approaching this from what our reporting is, maybe not this case, but certainly the presidential immunity one, with wariness of how they will rule ultimately if they do take that case up. Yeah, it's wild to think, right? You've appointed a third of the court, you're gonna go up uh, against uh, with immunity. He should be, he should be nervous if the justices will take that appeal and if he would prevail. Here on ballot eligibility, as we saw, they seemed to signal, to suggest that they will likely rule in his favor. Immunity, even sources in and around his legal team will concede. It's not their strongest argument. The idea that the president has absolute immunity, that is not something that is likely to prevail at the highest court. They lost at the trial court, they lost at the district court. But really, it's almost not as much about the merits as it is just the possibility that they might take it up. That's all they really need, because the strategy is really about trying to delay that federal case until after the 2024 election. Because as you know, if Trump is reelected, he, likely through his attorney general, could make both of Jack Smith's federal prosecutions go away. So while he should feel really good about what happened today legally, um, succeeding likely on the merits through this approach, going forward, there is an enormous amount of legal peril that he is facing. And even though he's appointed, appointed a third of this court, it's unlikely they're going to be able to help him much. But they have a new deadline already. You just yeah. heard the court end. They say, we'll see you back February 16th. They have a new deadline already on Monday that immediately his legal team is dealing with. They have to file that emergency appeal to the Supreme Court, which we know they're going to do. What have you heard about how they're going to approach that? Because all of their arguments that they made in front of the other courthouse, just not yeah. down the far down the road from here, uh, were rejected by that federal appeals court, including by Republican appointed judges. So now this is the question. What are you going to do? Because normally what they would do is they would ask the entire circuit to hear their case. They have that option. Do they think they're going to win? Probably not. But again, if the goal is delay, that's your next step. But the way the circuit decided this, they made that a little more difficult for them to do and box them in to tell the Supreme Court by Monday that they intend to appeal. Now, I was asked by the people who are going to work on this to leave them alone about exactly what they're going to do. Until well, they said the same thing to me. I've already texted them. We're already texting them to, to, to get the scoop on Bonk Supreme Court. What are you going to do? So going forward, they need to map out. Do they want to fight the fact that the circuit has said, you know, you really can't do on Bonk? Says who? Why doesn't the former president have that right? Do they want to litigate that? 
guessing they might, but I don't think they've thought through the mechanics of how they're going to go forward. But the big question I think is going to be how long does it take uh, either the circuit and or the Supreme Court to get back to him on what they're going to do, because every day is a gift for Trump and his legal team. Every day it takes them to decide that's one day closer to the November 2024 election and one day yep. that is less likely Jack Smith will get to prosecute him.